Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate teen mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi guys, we're back. Um, I know two weeks ago on the last episode, I said I would be here for Thanksgiving, don't worry about it, but about... I don't know, 45 minutes after I finished recording the episode, got some awful news. And one of my oldest friends passed away last Friday, two Fridays ago. Yeah, on the 17th of November, Um, which like literally I think I stopped. I like turned in this episode at 9 p.m. that Friday. And then by 9.30, I got the phone call. And, you know, my life just got turned upside down. I... Ended up having to go home over the holiday, but it wasn't for the holiday. It was for the funeral, and I just did not have it in me to travel home and do a podcast, and it sucks. Life has been really shitty for the last two weeks. I mean, there have been good parts going home and seeing all my friends and kind of reconnecting with people and collectively grieving is, like, really beautiful, but it's just been fucking sad, dude. Like, uh... You know, we had been friends since we were five years old. I spoke at the funeral, which was, like, really hard. We had kind of not kept in as close touch since I moved to Florida, which is just, like, (laughs) yeah, just crushing guilt at all times. Just crushing, crushing guilt, if you will. Um, But... Yeah, so I I just couldn't fucking record a podcast. I just couldn't do it. But I'm back now. It's my first post-Allison podcast. I've kind of now been thinking of my life in this weird way where there wasn't really a before Allison because we met when we were so young. Like, we literally met, you know, in kindergarten. So I don't have that many memories of life before her. I don't. I don't really have that many memories from, you know, before kindergarten like most people. And now I'm in this weird thing where... (laughs) Anytime I do anything, I'm like, oh, well, this is the first time I've done this since Allison died. And I'm sure, you know, anybody that's lost somebody can relate to that. And I know this has nothing to do with Teen Mom, but this is my life. I I don't know how not to talk about it. I don't know how to just get on a podcast and be like, oh, I took last week off for Thanksgiving because I didn't. <laughs> also, by the way. <laughs> When you have a funeral to go to over Thanksgiving and everybody is like, oh, you're going to have such a good Thanksgiving. You're going home. And you're like, oh, I'm actually going home for a funeral. And like nobody wants to talk to you about that. And they did not mean to step into a conversation about death with you. And then they have to like do this like weird sympathy thing, which like they did not know they were walking into. It It's a real treat, if you will. Uh, my coworkers' faces when they're like, oh, you're going home? That's, like, so nice. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going home for my uh, oldest friend's funeral. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, it, it's been a lot. She had a blood disorder that 
Well, she had a disorder that caused too much iron to build up in her blood and a mass created of iron. And she had a heart attack at 29 and a half years old. So that was shitty. And if you just want to, like, skip ahead a minute, I'll be talking about Teen Mom. But I just want to read this on air because it's, like, it's crazy. I have a podcast that's, like, going to last forever. (laughs) Not going to last forever, but, you know, the clips will presumably be around forever. And I just want to, like put this out there in my content that I create because this is the only place that I like create content. I mean, I've put it on social media, but social media, everybody has social media and it's kind of unique to have this podcast where I'm able to talk about, I know I don't talk about my life so much, but I, I can talk about my life because this is my podcast. So I had found this thing in her basement, in her mom's basement, because Allison was a fucking hoarder and kept everything. And it just is a list of things. So for her 16th birthday, we had, like, written in a book at her birthday party. And, like, I'd written so much dumb stuff in there. And then I wrote this list of things that I loved Allison more than. And it says, Elizabeth Ruth loves Allison Anastasia more than. And it's just so funny because it's, this is from 2004. Romeo and Juliet, obviously the movie, which I was obsessed with. Chicken fajitas, strawberry milk, John Mayer, polo shirts, nachos, Chili's, best restaurant ever, Walmart, Asia Chase and Garfield, who were my pets, Zoolander, my iPod, that skirt you have on, the internet, my cell phone, your fifth grade something that I can't understand, BBYO, which was the youth group I did, which was so important to me, every other friend, live journal, (laughs) and your bed, because Allison had the best bed. And, like, I, when I found that, I just sobbed. And, you know, I, was, I don't know if you can hear my voice, but I'm tearing up now just reading it. And I'm just so glad that I have that. And so glad that I have that. Oh, it was really nice to find. And, yeah, now it lives on in my podcast forever. And, Daniel, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if you're crying. Um, but I'll see you soon. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, But death sucks. Death is really shitty. This is the first person that uh, I feel like my life is altered now that they're gone. You know, being in recovery, I've lost a lot of people to overdoses since getting sober. But nobody, like, very close to me. And people in my life have died. But nobody that's, like, altered my life in a way now that they're dead. And I, I feel like my life is different now. I don't feel like I'm the same person anymore. And that is really hard and there was just no way I could just I could just record this and pretend like I'm still the same Liz because I'm not I'm I'm different now you know and it's a lot to deal with and so (laughs) let's let's talk about Team Mom OG I'm not even gonna recap the second fucking episode of the Team Mom Do reunion because it was unnecessary I don't even know why they did it in two parts. They should have just done, like, an hour and a half long special. It was stupid. Fuck Teen Mom reunions. <laughs> so, <sighs> Teen Mom OG is back, and I, for one, am excited. Oh, my God, I can't even start with Teen Mom OG. So much has happened in the news. First of all, Janelle sent out cease and desist letters to Kalen, Chelsea, Randy... <laughs> Nate, (laughs) I don't know about Nate's girlfriend, and Barbara, cease and desist letters. Now, if you're a little confused about what a cease and desist letter is, 
Let me educate you. It's basically, it means nothing. Essentially, a cease and desist letter is like a paper trail that you're creating for yourself. So the idea is you go to a lawyer and, I mean, honestly, you don't even really need a lawyer. I could probably go on Google right now and find a template and just send one to random friends if I so choose. Tomlin, I'm going to send you a cease and desist letter. <laughs> um, yeah. They're they're pretty much meaningless. What they say is you need to stop doing whatever you're doing, which is usually harassment, defamation, libel, slander, those things that are illegal, but like not physical assault level illegal that you're not really going to call the police for that isn't going to result in anybody being arrested, but could potentially result in a lawsuit. And you say you need to stop doing this or I'm going to take further legal action. So the idea is you send a cease and desist letter, they don't abide by the cease and desist letter, and then you take them to court. And when you go to court, you say to the judge, look, we sent them a cease and desist letter, we told them to stop, and they continued on with what they were doing, which shows that they have a history of doing this thing that we are accusing them of doing. Now, Janelle sending cease and desist letters is fucking wild, because she talks as much shit as everyone, she posts those fucking clickbait stories just like everybody does it's it makes no it makes no sense also i'm guessing if she sent out four or five cease and desist letters that she probably spent like $1500 i would guess a lawyer in north carolina probably charged 250 to 3 anywhere between $250 and $500 per letter 500 would be very high i would say around $250 and she sent out multiple ones <laughs> What I'm assuming happened is she called a lawyer, she vented to the lawyer, and the lawyer was like, we could send out cease and desist letters. And she was like, yep, that's what I want to do. And they billed her for their time. (laughs) It's just so silly. It's just so silly. There's no way Janelle could ever sue any of these people. First of all, I wonder what their contracts look like, if they're even legally allowed to sue each other. You know, pretty famously, the Bravo Housewives are not allowed to sue their castmates. That came, I guess, into fruition after Adrian threatened to sue Brandy on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. If you haven't seen the early seasons of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, quit your life and just watch the first three seasons because they're great. Anyway, now, I mean, you can sue anyone for anything. Janelle can feel free to take Randy to court if she wants, but she'll never win for a variety of reasons. First of all, to win a defamation lawsuit, you have to prove that what the other person is saying is false because truth is the ultimate defense to defamation. You can't really defame someone if you're telling the truth. It's a little more complicated than that. I'm not a lawyer. This isn't a law class, but that's essentially what it boils down to. So it'd be pretty hard to prove that any of her co-stars were knowingly lying. Second of all, you would have to prove, because Janelle is a public figure, the standard for defamation is a lot higher. So if somebody, I mean, I'm not a public figure. I have a podcast, though, so that may make it a little different. But obviously, I'm not a public figure. But let's say, like, I really hated, I got into a fight with my roommate, who I love, and God forbid anything else, anything ever happens like this. But let's just say, like, I get into a fight with my roommate, and I decide to put all over social media, like, she fucked six guys in one night in our apartment. 
which is false and would hurt her, hurt her reputation and possibly make it harder for her to get a job. If I put this all over social media, because a potential employer could see it, it comes up on Google, you know, it, it really damages her reputation. Now, for a public figure, all that shit is already on TV, and it's why celebrities can't just go around and sue whoever the fuck they want to sue. Because once you're a public figure, it's kind of presumed that you're already out there in the world, and your reputation is a lot harder to damage. When you're a public figure like Janelle, who's shot up heroin on TV, your reputation is exceptionally hard, exceptionally hard to damage. So Janelle would not only have to prove that whoever she was suing was knowingly telling a lie. So not just telling a lie, but knowingly telling a lie. So if I was to repeat a rumor that I heard about my roommate, somebody told me that they fucked, that she fucked six guys in one night then that wouldn't be defamation necessarily because I was just told what somebody else told me. I wasn't knowingly spreading a false lie. So not only would Janelle have to prove that these people are knowingly spreading a false lie, but she would have to prove that there is some scopable, scopable is not the right word, but monetary, measurable monetary damages to, you know, potential career or sponsors Showing basically, like, this is how you have made me lose money. <laughs> Which is basically impossible for Janelle. It, ju- it just is impossible. Any lawyer, honestly, I don't know if any lawyer would ethically help her bring a lawsuit. It would be completely unethical because there's absolutely no way she could win. And to bill her to do this lawsuit would be insane. But, you know, I'm sure a cease and desist letter is a little different than, like, actually allowing a client to bring a lawsuit that you know has no legal standing whatsoever. So, Janelle, why would she send these cease and desist letters? A lot of people have been speculating, like, what is her end game? And I think she just wants people to shut up. And she doesn't know how to make people shut up. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that maybe all these people saw something happen at a reunion and she doesn't want the story to get out. But I'm not so sure it has to be that deep. I just, I don't know. I don't think it has to be that deep. I think that Janelle is just fucking batshit, as we all know, and pissed and wants her and David to be this perfect couple and is pissed that people are talking about it and called enough lawyers and got someone to write her cease and desist letters. It's just nuts. Janelle, you're a fucking whack job. Why I didn't get a cease and desist letter, it's a major brand failure on behalf of Feathers in My Hair. (laughs) Now, the other big news, Matt, Amber's Matt, got married. What? Matt has a girlfriend? Yeah, apparently he does. Her name is Jennifer. She works at Outback Steakhouse as a waitress. Truly shocking. They've been together six months. She says he's totally different than what you read online. Sure, sure, they all are. (laughs) so then this funny thing happens that a Vegas uh, not hotel but yeah hotel the Bellagio a casino was robbed now Matt as I have speculated on here is a gambling addict he's a major gambler he's always at the casinos if you follow him on Instagram or Snapchat he's a major poker player not like major as in successful I don't think but major as in he plays a lot of poker (laughs) and Matt 
Okay, so the Bellagio Casino got robbed, and they released, the Las Vegas Police Department released footage of this guy that's wearing, like, a half mask and a wig that looks just like Matt. Now, it's grainy. This isn't CSI with, like, perfectly enhanced images, but holy shit, guys, does it look exactly like Matt. So, Matt got married this week and also possibly robbed the Bellagio. (laughs) And, of course, Twitter not jobs are, like, fucking tweeting the Las Vegas Police Department and calling the police (laughs) to tell them Matt's name. I'm sure it's not Matt, but, oh, boy, does it look like Matt. I'll make sure to post those pictures on um, my Feathers in My Hair Twitter account. If you guys aren't following, it's EBP underscore Feathers. You should follow me on there. I like to post content occasionally. I'm not, like, huge on Twitter on the Feathers in My Hair account, but, you know, I... I pop in every couple days. It's important to. So OG's back and I personally am excited for this season. I can't wait to see Ryan and Mackenzie. Guys, Mackenzie is absolutely my favorite character on Teen Mom right now. I am obsessed with her. My child bride. Is she 21 yet? I don't know. Just what I thought was maybe naive. Now I know is calculating I love it. I love it. I'm so excited for her. She is just, I don't really have a lot of words for what Mackenzie is. She's an enigma. I can't figure out any of her motives, what her end game is here. I will be disappointed when Matt leaves. I want them to send a film crew to Vegas to film him robbing banks. By banks, I mean casinos, but those two. Um, So, yeah, I will be sad to see Matt go. Not, like, from Amber's life, but just go from the show. I can't wait to see Amber in this new creeper that she's with, and I can't wait to see her pregnancy announcement. I hope Macy's a real bitch this season. I like bitchy Macy. So, yeah, this episode started, like, the day before the reunion, which I thought was weird because we saw the reunion six fucking months ago. But, okay. Macy... I'm going to start with Macy, although this episode's kind of weird, the way that it's formatted. It's not so much, like, person by person, but I am still going to go person by person, but you'll all bear with me. So, Keely comes over, Macy's best friend, and if you'll notice, (laughs) Keely has on, like, a maxi dress and a TTM, you know, Things That Matter shirt, and you can clearly see the dress underneath, and I just assume Macy's like, put on one of those TTM shirts. (laughs) Gotta get that advertising. And you know what? I respect that. So they talk about how Ryan's in rehab. And Bentley has not talked to him. But Macy has told Bentley that daddy is away working on himself. And he's right where he needs to be. And he's going to come back better. And I thought that was really good. As opposed to Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea, who just isn't telling Aubrey anything at all. I thought it was good that Macy is saying, like, dad is away where he needs to be and he's working on himself. I think that's completely age appropriate. The fact is Ryan does have a disease and theoretically he is in rehab working on himself and getting better. So Macy's a little worried about what will happen at the reunion because she just doesn't have any communication with Mackenzie And she's not, she said she's not so nervous, but she's, like, confused because she's just not sure what Mackenzie is willing to share. I wonder if she knew they were married at this point. Huh. 
we would have to go back and look and find the wedding certificate when the wedding certificate came out. But I wonder if she knew. I think we didn't find out publicly until after the reunion had aired, and that's why we found out publicly because of the reunion. So I wonder if Macy had known at the time that Ryan McKenzie had done that weird wedding. Hmm. Hmm. We shall see. Actually, we won't. We won't see. I don't know, guys. I'm, like, in a weird mood. <laughs> in a weird mood, guys. So, we go to New York, and we see Macy's segment, and we see Macy and Dr. Drew talking, and Mac is backstage doing that weird, like, <laughs> like, weird laughs and those, like, aggressive, like, head throws that she does. She's just looking very aggro, to be honest. So we see Macy and Drew talking, and Mackenzie comes back, and Amber, everybody's backstage watching, and Amber's pissed off, and she's like, she needs to shut the fuck up. And then we see the scene where Mackenzie storms off stage. This is truly wild. Amber is sitting right next to the stage entrance, stands up, walks right up to Mackenzie, and calls her a fucking cunt. (laughs) She says, you are a fucking cunt for what you did. What? (laughs) Like, like, yeah, Mackenzie was being shitty. There is no doubt about that. But that was so fucking unnecessary. Amber is so out of control. And, like, for her to jump in in a situation in which Amber... Macy never would. Macy would never jump into a situation like that, rightfully so. I could not believe that. And then Amber's sitting there talking to, like, some producer we've never even seen. She's like, yeah, she's lucky I have self-control. She's lucky. And she, like, looks right at the producer and she's like, she's lucky I have some fucking (laughs) self-control. I just could not believe. Like, calling someone a cunt is such a next-level insult to the point where I have, don't think I've ever called anybody that ever. Maybe when talking about someone, I'm sure I have when talking. I mean, let's be real, probably on this podcast. But it's really not a word that's in my vocab that I re- regularly use. I'll absolutely go for bitch or asshole. But I don't really use the C word often. It's just so harsh. And I know if I have listeners like in the UK or Australia, it's like an everyday word for them but you know in the states to use the c word is pretty extreme and to walk right up into somebody's face and just say you're a fucking cunt (laughs) yeah i mean amber what are you doing girl amber wants us to think she has like her aggression in check and then i love when she was like, she's lucky I have self-control. And it's like, but do you? <laughs> Just because you didn't hit someone in the face, like, does not mean your behavior was appropriate, Amber. <laughs> Amber's, I feel like, a real lunatic. Like, she truly thinks she can, like, pop off at the mouth in any way she wants. And that's completely okay as long as she doesn't hit someone. But it's not completely okay in any way, shape, or form. So Macy comes off stage and Amber tells her and Macy just like laughs, which I think I would too, because Macy was obviously pissed in that moment. And what are you going to do? Be like, Amber, you shouldn't have said that. Like, honestly, Mackenzie was being a see you next Tuesday. Amber shouldn't 
not have said it to her. But I kind of get why Macy didn't, like, scold her and just, like, laughed along. She looked pretty surprised. Also, I think, I have a feeling Macy, okay, I think Macy does genuinely like Kate and Amber. I think they share something that the three of them, plus Farrah, but we know how that is, that the three of them share with basically nobody else in this world. They were all in 16 and pregnant, and then they were on Teen Mom together. They've been part of each other's lives for almost 10 years, and are they friends? I don't know if I would use the word friends. I mean, yeah, they went on their MTV vacation together last year, but I don't know how... Yeah, I mean, I guess they're friends, because whenever they're in New York and LA for reunions, they spend time together, and I'm sure they, like, text and talk on social media. So I would call them friends. Are they, like, best friends? No, and especially for someone like Macy, who has her best friends that she's had for years and years and years. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Kate and Amber consider Macy a little bit of a closer friend because they don't have a ton of other friends. But for Macy, Amber and Kate are people that I'm sure she cares about a lot, she is friends with, but they're not people that she is going to go out of her way to, like, correct in a way that a close friend would. You know when you're with people who you, like, like, they're great, but you're not very close with them, and they do and say things that you don't necessarily agree with, but you just don't care enough about them to, like, educate them or correct them. I think that's kind of the situation that Macy's in with them. There are some friends that I... I'm sure, like, if Keely did that, Macy would have been like, Keely, what the fuck are you thinking? Like, I have to deal with Mackenzie for as long as she's with Ryan. That's or that's Bentley's stepmom. Like, Keely, no, don't talk to Mac that way. I mean, I kind of love that you did it, but please don't ever do that again. But with Amber, it's just like, eh, what the fuck? It, it just, it doesn't seem worth it to her to step in front of Amber when Amber makes a decision to do something, I'm assuming. So they're all in the green room and Macy does this really incredible thing that is a fine honed skill that I do not have, obviously, because I have this fucking podcast where I talk shit for hours every week. I'm a shit talker. It's one of my worst fucking habits in the world. I do not have the ability to do what Macy did, which is just, she just sat there and let Caitlin and Amber just talk so much shit on Mackenzie and Macy didn't say a word. She just kind of like laughed and nodded her head as Caitlin and Amber said everything that she wanted them to say. Now me, I have to have my voice heard at all times and my opinion has to be heard by the masses. So I'm never Macy who just sits there and kind of giggles as my friends talk cash shit for me. I don't have that skill. I'm not good at that. So Amber's like, there's no way Mac didn't know. We all know, knew, everybody knew. Which, I mean, yeah, everybody knew. (laughs) I don't know. Here's my thing. And I definitely talked about this last season. (sighs) It's hard for me to say that Mackenzie knew. Because when you're in a relationship with an addict, as I was before I had a heroin addiction, I had a boyfriend for a very, very long time, like six years, that had a heroin addiction. And I was, like, doing my other drugs, but I wasn't doing heroin. So it's very hard to use phrases like she knew when it comes to a relationship with an addict because there is knowing and there is not allowing yourself to know. The shit that I used to convince my ex-boyfriend of or let my ex-boyfriend convince me of is absolutely insane. Like he would 
uh, like he would honestly steal money from me and like would help me look for it and I knew he had to have been the one that stole it but like I just didn't want to admit that to myself so it's really hard for me to sit here and be like Mackenzie 100% knew what he was doing because I honestly don't believe that I believe Mackenzie was in deep denial and was just not allowing herself to know what Ryan was doing Now, is that right? No. And does that make her blameless? No, because she was the one that was choosing to be in this, like, active state of denial. But that's the reality. Um, you know, that, that's just the reality of being in a codependent relationship. I think Mackenzie desperately needs to go to Al-Anon because this behavior is just going to repeat itself. I think Mackenzie is a perfect candidate for a drug addict spouse. I mean, they're married now. So she's a perfect candidate for a drug addicted boyfriend or husband because she clearly is obsessed with appearances and is able to convince herself of things and is willing to let the house burn down just to make sure that nobody sees what's going on inside. And it's just, that's not a real phrase. That doesn't even make sense what I just said, but I hope you guys understand what I mean. But I personally am just like, uh, I think I'm a little more forgiving than the average bear when it comes to Mackenzie. And I know I said earlier, like, I think she's a nut job and I do, but it's a nut job that I can relate to because I've been in that situation where everybody around me was like, you're crazy, bitch. Like, you know what he's doing. Once, oh my God, once my ex-boyfriend stole like 300 fucking dollars to me because I was a waitress at the time and I would work like 14 hour shifts you know, I worked, like, I made a lot of money doing that. I would make, from Friday to Sunday, I would make, like, $400. And he stole, like, my whole weekend's work, which was, ugh, it fucking sucked. And he helped me look for it. And I convinced myself it wasn't him. And I told somebody at work that my money had gone missing. He was like, oh, well, your boyfriend's not secretly a drug addict, is he? And I was like... Well, <laughs> I, I like said no, but <laughs> it just, it's just so crazy when you're living in it. And I look back at the things that I did, like, that's insane. Like 400 fucking dollars of cash went missing and I genuinely thought I didn't know where it went. <laughs> like, of course my living boyfriend stole it from me who has a history of drug problems. Like, duh. Looking back on it, it's so fucking obvious. But when you're so deep in it, it just is, it's hard to see the truth from the false when you're so deep in it because you become just as addicted to like the person using as they are to the drugs. Uh, somebody on the Facebook group <laughs> was like, and I were going back and forth about this and she said that like she had a drug addict boyfriend who had stole money from her or money kept disappearing and he like had convinced her that their landlord was breaking into their house and she even asked her dad to like help and help her install cameras and he was like huh no like your boyfriend's the one stealing the money like you just it's one it's just something that is so fucking impossible to explain because it it, it doesn't make sense and it is irrational. It is crazy. And the reality is, is that the person, the person that's in denial is not innocent. You know, like they're the ones actively choosing to partake in what is an extremely unhealthy and toxic relationship. Usually, I mean, it's abusive. It's financially abusive. It's emotionally abusive. 
When you are in a relationship with a drug addict, you are being abused, if not physically, in many other ways. I would call what happened between my ex-boyfriend and I financial abuse any day of the week. Um, and I would, and oh, absolutely emotional abuse. And I don't know exactly what's going on with Mackenzie and Ryan, but I just know that it's, I don't know, I just don't hate her for wanting to believe that it's not true. However, you know, post rehab, like, then you have to, like, own up to it at some point, you know? You have to open your eyes to what the reality is or it's never going to get better. And unfortunately, I think Mackenzie is going down a road that I went down and it took me six years to, like, really finally admit the reality of it. And I had to move a thousand miles away to, like, really fully get away from him. And I, I hope for Mackenzie's sake that's not the truth. And also, I will say that when this was going on, I was kind of in my own addiction. You know, I wasn't using heroin, but I was doing every other drug under the sun, basically. All the Xanax, weed, Adderall, sometimes Coke, whatever. Whatever drug I could do, but especially Xanax, Adderall, and weed. Like, I was deep in that. And so it was easy for me to numb myself out to it and to not take accountability for anything because I was a drug addict. Um, and I didn't see myself as a drug addict because my boyfriend was a drug addict and he was the one that was addicted to heroin. And if you, like, if I wasn't addicted to heroin, that meant like I didn't have a problem. Then, you know, I got addicted to heroin and it was like, whoo, I have a problem. But, so I wonder if, I mean, this happens to people when they're completely sober, though. So, but I will say in my experience, the numbing of myself via my own drugs, like, made it a lot easier to be convinced of his lies. Like, a lot easier. And it wasn't until I got sober that I was able to, like, really, like, take accountability for my part in all of this craziness and so I wonder what McKen if Mackenzie is taking Xanax and smoking weed and, you know, maybe not at an addict level, but partaking with him and that's doling her senses to the reality of the situation. Now, she doesn't give me an addict vibe at all. She gives me full codependent enabler adult child of alcoholic vibes. But would I be shocked to find out that Mackenzie was using benzos and weed with Ryan? No. I don't think Mackenzie's an opiate addict like Ryan is at all. But would I be surprised to find out she was partaking in drugs? No, I would not. So we are back from the reunion in Macy's timeline. And we see Macy driving Bentley and Jade somewhere. And then we get a scene of Mackenzie going to see Ryan. She's on the phone with her friend. And she says she has a lot of fear, which I think is normal. It's, like, weird to visit people in rehab and jail and wherever. And she has a dog with her, which I thought was very nice because we all know that dog is the only thing in the world that Ryan loves. <laughs> and her friend says, I know he loves you and let's just hope he learned his lesson. Okay, learned his lesson. Now, that's a terrible turn of phrase when talking about drug addicts really terrible it just learned his lesson that's just not I don't know I just don't like that 
So MTV cameras were not allowed to film at the rehab, which actually thrilled me because it meant Ryan went to a real rehab. I was really happy to see that. And then we get a scene back at what they labeled as Mackenzie's rental apartment, which I thought was a very weird... I thought that was very weird. Rental apartment? What does that mean? Like, she was clearly living there, but didn't Ryan and Mackenzie have a house? Didn't Ryan buy Mimi Jen's, like, brother's house or some shit? They were living in a house last season, and now she's living in a rental apartment. Is that her apartment? She got, like, you can't live with me and I'm going to go get my own place because I live at your house. That was not explained. I just, I thought it was like a weird title card for MTV to give it because if they had just said like Mackenzie and, and also it didn't say Mackenzie and Ryan's rental apartment. It just said Mackenzie's rental apartment. I just thought, I don't know. It was very, it was just like a quick, you know, flash on the screen, but that's what this podcast is about, right? I, I wonder why they didn't just call it Macy and Ryan's apartment And I wouldn't have even batted an eye because I wouldn't have even thought about where they lived last year. But there's just something very weird. Like, they're letting us know this is not a permanent situation. Like, this is not where she used to live. Ryan doesn't live here. Because, remember, like, the last time we saw them was... I think they got married, like, two weeks before the reunion or less. Like, they got married, he went to rehab, and then he was, it was a reunion all within, like, two weeks span. It was very, very quick because they got married, like, I think May 12th, maybe. For some reason, that's popping on my head. We saw Ferris' birthday party, and Ferris' birthday, I know, is May 31st because that's the day after my birthday. Fun fact, she shares the birthday with Jade Carter. Uh, Macy's daughter, who you guys know I love, but Farrah and I are both Geminis. Yes, I am a Gemini, and it's the greatest, because I'm the greatest. Just kidding. But yeah, so I, I just don't understand what they were trying to get across with Mackenzie's rental apartment, or what they meant by that, or why Mackenzie was in a rental apartment. So we see Kiki and Macy, excuse me, we see Kiki and Mackenzie talk about Ryan and Mackenzie says so that he was using three times a day and spending 10 grand a week. Now, people have been flipped out about this 10 grand a week number. So let Liz, your drug, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know. Your, your fucking junkie friend. By the way, don't call people junkies. It's like really incorrect. If I want to call myself a junkie, that's fine. But like, take that word out of your vocab. It's not right. It's, very rude actually but let your drug addicted former drug addicted friend walk you through how one spends ten thousand dollars a week on drugs now do i think ten thousand dollars a week is possibly an exaggerated number yes i do um it is a possible number, but I would say my guess is it was probably closer to $7,000 a week. I would say he's probably doing about, a, he could easily, easily be doing $1,000 of drugs a day. Now, how is he doing that? One, you have to remember that the original dads from Teen Mom are making almost as much as the moms. And I've heard numbers that the OG moms are making about $500,000 a season. So let's pretend, let's theoretically say Ryan is making $350,000 a season. That's a shitload of money. We can assume Ryan isn't paying his taxes. 
right? Ryan's probably not paying taxes correctly. So let's pretend that Ryan is making $350,000 take home a year. Now that's a lot of money. Ryan doesn't have a lot of bills. He lived with his parents forever. I just, I think he has a lot of cash on hand. Obviously that's $7,000 a week is more than $350,000. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people are tripped up on how could he possibly afford that. But the secret is no drug addict can afford their habit. When I was a heroin addict, I was making $14 an hour. I was working 40 hours a week. So however much that is per paycheck, I was getting paid every Friday. And my habit was between, depending on how much money I could spend, at minimum, I had to do $40 worth of heroin a day, at bare minimum. A good day, I was doing $100 worth of heroin a day. So I was spending, what's four times seven? I was spending between probably like $300 and $700 a week on heroin. That's just on heroin. Now, I was making not $700 a week. I was making less than that. How did I get the money? One TD bank let me overdraw my bank account to like $500, which is insane. Um, And I would steal. I would steal money from people. I've made amends for it. I don't want to like get deep into that because it's honestly embarrassing and gross who I stole money from. But that was part of it. I would steal fucking money because I didn't care about anybody except getting drugs. I would manipulate. Manipulate's really how I would get a lot of money. I would, you know, I could get $20 here, $40 there from my parents. I would do like a lot of weird side jobs, like clean people's houses, <laughs> like my mom's house, my dad's house, my grandmother's house. I would just like clean and get paid like $80 to like clean. I would uh, sell stuff. I sold so much stuff on eBay and pawn shops. Um, I would sell stuff that maybe stuff that I stole. I didn't really do that often, but there was like sometimes that, you know, you could steal and then go to the pawn shop. I would, yeah, so like lie, cheat, and steal. I, that's how you get the money. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan was, you know, making a shitload of money and his mom was giving him money. And if you guys don't forget, like he stole Larry's tools a couple seasons ago, which I was like screaming about. He's a drug addict. He's stealing his dad's tools because I've fucking pawn stolen tools before. I didn't steal the tools, but I was part of the pawning process. Um, I hope the statute of limitations is up on that. Whatever. Come get me. <laughs> but Ryan, okay, so what drugs could cost $7,000 a week if we're saying $1,000 a day? So I was doing heroin, which is much cheaper than pills. The reason people do heroin, a lot of people, is because it's cheaper. $100 a day is about a gram of heroin. It's kind of hard to, and that, like, heroin's kind of hard to explain because it's not really, at least in Philadelphia where I was doing it, it's not really sold by the gram. It's sold by bags, what they're called, and you buy bags. 10 bag, ten to 12 bags is a bundle, and that's how you measure. It's, like, not, like, buying weed or buying pills. There's no milligrams or weight. It's all done. It's so, it's truly bizarre. You just know how much it should be, and you're, like, how the weight should be, and then you measure the amount that you do by the amount of bags that you do. So, it's kind of hard to can like say how much 
to explain how much a person's doing, but just so you know, a bundle of heroin is about a hundred dollars, depending. A bundle of good heroin in Philadelphia when I was using was a hundred dollars, and that was twelve, ten to twelve bags, depending on your dealer of heroin. And on a bad day, I would do four bags. That was like my bare minimum to get through the day. On a good day, I would do twelve bags. Now, Ryan is doing opioids. He's doing pills. Pills are in incredibly expensive incredibly expensive pills opioids are sold essentially by the milligram so i don't know if you ever heard of oxy 80s back in the day but oxy 80s used to be 80 milligram oxy cotton i don't think they exist anymore or if they do exist they're really heavily regulated and almost impossible to get and they made it so they can't be like broken down and shot up But those were $80 a pill, and you could, I mean, I knew people doing 20 of them a day. Now, mostly, the big pills are Dilaudid's, um, which I don't really know how much they cost because people weren't doing them up north when I was using, and, like, Percocet 30 milligrams and Roxycontin 30 milligrams. So people are spending anywhere you know, depending on how you're getting them and who you're getting them from. If you're not getting them from the doctor, these are street prices, 20 to $30 per pill. Now I was in rehab with people that were doing 30 pills a day. So what's 30 times 30? They're spending $900 a day on pills. That's insane. In rehab, we had to do this thing called the cost of our addiction, where we literally did the math on how much money we spent on drugs And the girl sitting next to me was really into Perk 30s. She was like my rehab friend. And she was really into Perk 30s. And I think she had figured out hers was like she had spent $300,000 on pills the year before. Now, how did she do this? She was a fucking booster. She shoplifted. And then had like pawn shop guys that would buy the stuff from her. Kind of like that they knew they were buying stolen shit. But she would boost like expensive sunglasses. She would go to sunglass huts all over the area and just take like five pairs of Ray-Bans. <laughs> this is crazy. I know. But pills are like outrageously expensive. And pills are what's really popular in areas of the world that Ryan lives in. Because heroin comes from Afghanistan, China, et cetera, et cetera. Pills come from doctors. And, you know, the further away from major port cities you live, like a New York, a Philadelphia, a Baltimore, the harder it is to get heroin. So they do pills there. Um, You know, a lot of people in Philly did pills too, but most people quickly moved on to heroin because it was so readily available and it's significantly cheaper. However, heroin in Chattanooga, Tennessee is what they would call stomped on. So it's, like, really weak. It's passed through, like, 10 dealers by the time you get to it. And it's harder to get. It's just shittier. Where an opioid, a pill, you know is going to be good. Except now they have fake pills. It's crazy. I'm so glad I stopped doing drugs before fake pills existed. Like, did you know people buy fake Xanax? Like, that's crazy to me. When I was doing drugs, if you got a Xanax, you knew it was fucking real. Now people have machines and they make fucking fake Xanax at their house. It's crazy. But anyway, now that I've been on this incredibly long tangent, (laughs) I I do believe it was possible at a point in time Ryan was spending $10,000 on drugs. 
he was using way more than three times a day if he was doing that. But I do believe it. He's been using drugs for a long time. He got, he first went to rehab in what, 2012 to the outpatient. It's 2017. His tolerance is probably extremely high and he has a lot of money and he has access to it, I'm guessing. So yeah. Um, Mackenzie says she's really nervous because they told her relapse is part of recovery, which is like a pretty controversial phrase. Really, people say relapse is part of recovery because if you relapse, it doesn't mean it's impossible to get sober again. But relapse doesn't have to be a part of recovery is kind of what lots of people want to say. Uh, our last scene with Macy is that she is at she's at the house and Keely's back over and she says she has no communication with Mackenzie. She has no idea how long he's be there. She doesn't know if he's going to go to a halfway house, which I was surprised she mentioned. I wonder if like the drug counselor she talked to last season had told her that or if maybe Amber like used that phrase with her. Um, because I don't think most people who are not in the recovery scene know off the bat what a halfway house is. It's a pretty, like, specific term. She thinks that Ryan needs to go away for a while and then maybe go to sober living, which, you know, I agree with. And she, like, wants to bring Bentley to see him, but she doesn't have any information. And she just doesn't feel like it'll be fixed in 30 days, which, I mean, duh. I think we all agree with that. Although I am, like, a big, big, big believer in rehab does not fix people. And you can go away for a year and then come out and start using that day. I've, like, literally seen that happen to people where they go to year-long programs and they've relapsed within a week. Because it's not so much about what you do in rehab. It's about what you do after rehab. And, you know, I, I think that Ryan definitely needs to be could have benefited from a 90-day treatment just to clear his head and get away from it. But I do think it'll be most important what he does when he gets home as opposed to when he's in treatment. So that was Macy for this week. I am high-key excited to see what happens with her this season. Just one quick thing before I move on to Farah. I do want to read a tweet from Sharon Bookout the mother of Macy. A man just said after hearing of Matt Lauer's firing, I guess all men are going to get fired now. Well, no. Only those that have sexually assaulted her rat or harassed someone. Guys, if you're legitimately worried, you might want to adjust your behavior. Go ahead, Sharon Bookout. <sighs> Loved it. Loved it. Okay, let's go on to Farah. Welcome to Farah's birthday party, guys. Which, if you will remember, I detailed with Joanna Ruth way back in May when she went to it. We probably talked in June because, you know, it was the end of the month. But, yeah, we talked about it and she told us about the fight and the fact that Farrah's mom wanted her to give a speech. And she told us all about it. It was like we were there. So, we find out Farrah's having a birthday party and she invited her mom, but not David. And, obviously, none of the cast members. And I guess my thoughts on, like, her inviting David, I don't know. I don't have, like, experience having a step-parent that I don't hate, but I just feel like you can't invite certain people and not invite others. I'm not, personally, I'm not a fan of that. You have to invite everybody. You can't, you can't invite someone somewhere and be like, but your significant other can't come. That's just, I think it's rude. Even if you hate the person, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't really speak on that because I just, I don't have understanding. I don't have experience there. But I'm a big believer in, like, 
spouses come as package deal and you either deal with both or you deal with neither. So Paolo is there. I still don't know how to say her name because I'm an idiot. Um, she's there and they talk about how Farrah had birthday parties in Vegas, Miami, and New York. Like the three major cities. Which like, yeah, I, I guess for hosting parties, those are the three major cities. I don't know if I would ever call Miami and Las Vegas major cities in America. I mean, yes, I understand that they are, but like talking about like major cities to have your birthday party, I actually that's not true. I guess I wouldn't count. Major party cities. Oh, Liz, come on, get with the program. So Sophia asks to go see Deb and Vera says, no, she's with someone I don't like right now. Not my problem. Which is so fucking inappropriate. First of all, they have to, like, subtitle everything Sophia says because nobody can understand her voice or, like, the way she speaks. It's such a shame that they pulled her out of school to homeschool because she's... <sighs> that girl needs speech therapy, and it's not her fault. It's that the adults in her life, I'm assuming, don't read to her, don't speak to her correctly. She's not developed the proper language skills, which, you know... It's, it's just upsetting. I can't understand anything that she says. And I say this is someone that had a speech impediment as a child. Like, this is not a knock on little Sophia. This is a knock on her family not doing shit about it. And it's just so inappropriate, like, to say to Sophia, like, no, you can't go see grandma because she's with someone I don't like. Like, why would you need to say that to Sophia? All she had to say was, no, grandma's busy right now. No, we'll go see grandma later. God, I just, I hate Farah. I hate Vera. So we get a scene of Deborah and David talking and, you know, Deborah does her classic like, oh, I'm so sad thing about Farrah not talking to her and she starts crying and it's just, it's exhausting watching Deb cry because I just don't care about watching Deb cry. I'm sorry. I just don't care about it at all. And so, excuse me, I was going to say Sophia, but I'm talking about Deborah. Teba drops this, like, line that it doesn't matter who's mad at her because God loves us all, which, like, true, I guess. I just, um, I love to be reminded of when they are religious because I feel like they don't act religious in any way. Like, today or yesterday, Fair did one of her classic Instagram ha uh, caption rants, and in it, she wrote about her Viacom bosses having to face Judgment Day which, like, okay, one, most of your bosses at Viacom are probably Jewish. And, like, we don't believe in Judgment Day. That's, like, not a thing. We don't believe in the rapture. So, like, we're cool. Like, and Judgment Day, it's just so silly. It's so silly. Um, I'm, like, really waiting for <laughs> Farah in one of her rants to mention the Jews at Viacom. I just feel in my bones that that is going to happen. Like, this morning, I just decided that Farrah's probably anti-Semitic. And there's no proof of that. She's never said anything anti-Semitic. She's been quite racist, but she's never been anti-Semitic. But I just know she is, and I'm just waiting for her to drop a Jews that run Hollywood, Jews that run MTV type of thing. Also, it's surprising that Fair is, like, all in this sex-shaming spree, but, like, hasn't latched on to Me Too very much. She has mentioned Harvey Weinstein in her rants. She has mentioned sex-shaming. But I really feel like Fair could be doing a lot more with the Me Too hashtag that she is really avoiding. 
And I wonder if it's because she just doesn't know what it is. And we know Farrah loves a hashtag because, like, hashtag hate, hashtag crime, hashtag Viacom. I'm I'm wondering why she isn't going full Me Too. It's kind of surprising. You'd think she'd really want to co-op that movement for herself because that's what she likes to do. So Farrah... It's the night of Farrah's party, and they're all getting ready, and Farrah gives Sophia a full fucking face of makeup so that Sophia can walk the red carpet before the party, which is just, it's just personally, like, a lot for me. I don't really understand why Sophia needs to be in a full face of makeup. Like, Sophia's eight years old. I understand she's going to be taking pictures, but I think she could have skipped the makeup. I just... I don't know, because it doesn't seem like a special occasion thing. They're in front of the cameras a lot, and I think Sophia's getting makeup a lot, and I just, I don't like it. Personally, I don't like it. Sophia's too young for it. Uh, Farrah shows us that Deb got her a card and wrote, it looked like she wrote a lot in it, and she said she really liked the card, but she's like, notice that David didn't sign it, and David didn't get me a card, but he's going to be there tonight being fake, and I just, I don't understand what Farrah wants from David. She's constantly going on about how fake David is. That's her favorite word to describe David as fake, which, like, I personally don't really understand where she's going with that. I think David's actually pretty fucking real. He is very upfront with who he is. I would never use the word fake to describe David. I mean, creep, sure, asshole, yeah, I I think so. But fake doesn't seem right. And I, I I don't get what she means by it. I guess she means, like, because David wants to come to her party and be nice to her there, he's, like, being fake because he doesn't really like her. But what Farrah doesn't seem to understand, it's, like, he's not being fake. It's called being polite. <laughs> like, she, I don't get it. Does she want to walk into her party and have David scream at her and call her fucking see you next Tuesday like is that what she I guess that's what she wants I it's just like such a weird choice of words and she's really latched onto it and she repeatedly talks about how fake David is which like I guess you do you girl so we get to the party and they do like the red carpet pictures and as soon as she walks in David and Deb are sitting there and she walks right up to David and she says So are you going to be obnoxious or act like you care? (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, it just would be so easy to be like, hi, David, how are you? (laughs) Like, give a quick, like, kiss on the cheek (laughs) and move the fuck on. I, I don't know. I don't understand. I thought it was so poignant last season at the reunion when David said that Farrah does not follow the rules of engagement like the rules of social engagement and that like baffles him because David and I are completely on the same page there look I am not a David fan he is creepy I think he's an asshole I don't think I'd like to be around him he like moseys around by himself and doesn't really like to have conversations which I find very off-putting but the reality is he's like a 60 something year old man and he is who he is And he's not going to change. And I don't think he's, like, at the end of the day, I don't think he's, like, a terrible person that Farah and maybe MTV want us to think he is. I mean, he's with Deb, so, like, he might be. 
but I don't think David is like the worst person on planet Earth the way that Farrah acts like he is. I think almost all of the fights they have had have been Farrah instigated. Um, there was that like the initial meeting of them, which I, I'll have to go back and watch, and he did overstep his boundaries, and that's like his biggest offense is that he's a boundary overstepper. But the fact is, like, I don't think he is the worst person we've seen on Teen Mom, like, fair acts like he is. And I I really do agree with him. I think he doesn't understand the way that fair behaves, especially, I'm assuming, on camera. I don't know how much interaction off camera Farrah and David have, because I don't know how much interaction off camera Deborah and Farrah have. But if I was him... I think I would feel very fucking confused by somebody that the minute they see me at their party walks directly up to me and asks me if I'm being obnoxious. Like, how how do you react to that? And I understand what David means. Like, they don't... Their fights are not normal fights. Like, they don't have fights where they sit down and they talk and then it builds and then it builds and then there's, like, a blow-up. Like, normal person fights. Their fights start because Farrah, like, looks right at him and is like, you're a fat, old, creepy fuck and I fucking hate you. You're fucking creepy. You're pulling the negative shit out of me. And I think that bewilders him. And I think it would bewilder me. I don't understand people. I have a very, very hard time with people who don't understand social norms and don't seem to have any concept of, like, these social mores that we've all been forced to live under our whole lives i'm a big proponent of manners and even if it's like stupid stuff like if you can't have small talk i i don't i just have a hard time interacting with people that don't understand how to do small talk that don't understand like that when you enter a room you should greet people that just of course i'm not speaking if you are like neurodivergent you have autism or like a something that keeps you from being this way that's a different story. I'm talking about people who are just rude <laughs> and people who don't care to follow, like, the social norms that the rest of us are following. And I feel like Farrah is very much that. And David just does not understand how to deal with her. And I don't think I'd understand how to deal with her either. I could not deal with somebody just walking up to me at a party and coming at me for no fucking reason. I, because I'm so the opposite of that. I'm so, and this is, like, growing up... My dad's family is very, very waspy, and I know this is, like, my waspy side coming out. But, like, even with somebody I hate, like, I can walk up to them and give them a kiss on the cheek and say, Hi, how are you? Like, oh, you're well, that's nice. Like, I don't understand people who can't be civil. And you know what? Maybe that makes me fake, but personally, I don't think that's being fake. I think it's called just fucking living in this world and not screaming at people all the time. It's called being polite. And there's a difference between being polite and being fake. And I don't... I don't get Farah and people like Farah who think that because you're like acknowledging someone that you don't like, you're being fake. If I couldn't acknowledge anybody I didn't like, I would not talk to most of the, my dad's side of my family, which I mean, I really don't anymore, but <laughs> shout out Julia, you know exactly what I'm talking about, um, but it's not being fake. It's just, it's just interacting with people you don't like so fair or fair she's just on one I just don't understand like what exactly her deal is here I just 
I don't understand. She obviously fucking hates David, and you know what? That's fine, and it's fine if she hates him, but she does not need to be so fucking aggressive with him. So Michael seems fucking drunk, like super drunk, and he walks up to, well, actually, David walks up to Michael and says, I thought, like, this was pretty reasonable. He said, hi, you know, like, you know, I'm David. We don't know each other well. I don't know if they'd ever even met. And I was just wondering, like, if you have any questions for me, which I think is maybe not, like, the best phrased, but it's not badly phrased. You know, I got what he was trying to say, which was, like, hi, like, we haven't really interacted. Do you have anything that you want to talk to me about that maybe you're not sure of who I am or, like, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Michael seemed lit the fuck up. He was drunk, I think. And Michael comes right back with, like, I don't have questions, but I do have advice. And he didn't say it in, like, no, no, but I have some advice. Or, ha, I have some advice for you now that you're marrying Deb. Like, it was very, very aggro. And <laughs> David escalates it by saying, I'm not interested in your advice. And Michael says, if you keep talking to my daughter, like, the way you were, you're, we're going to have problems. And David does this thing, which is, like, probably his worst quality when he says, you're not a doctor and I am. I would say this is definitely David's worst quality when he pretends to, not pretends, when he, like, lords being a doctor over everybody else's head. Because, like, no one cares, bro. Like, no one cares that you're a doctor. That would drive me insane. Ugh. Ugh. Like, doctors do it. Lawyers do it. It's like when people think I care about their profession when I'm not directly asking them about it. No one cares. And Michael was like, you're not a fucking shrink. You're a fucking infective, infective, infectious. I can't say a word today. Disease doctor. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. And David lets us know apparently he was married to a therapist for many years. Yikes. And David says, you should have to encourage your daughter to seek therapy. Uh, well, they go outside because they're, like, getting kind of aggressive inside. And uh, David tells Michael that he has to encourage his daughter to seek therapy because she has a lot of stuff built up because of the years of your marital issues. And Michael just, like, explodes. And he's like, don't talk about my daughter. Don't You don't know shit about my marriage. And David's like, oh, so you didn't have all those affairs? And I really don't think he was saying, like, Farah has issues specifically because of you and how you were in the marriage. I think he meant as a whole, like, Farah has issues because of her upbringing, which uh, obviously we all agree with. By the way, I think Michael is the biggest fucking creep on this show. There is something so fucking creepy about Michael to me. I... I just can't. He's so creepy. I would not want to be alone in a room with Michael. He's not right. That man's not right. No, no, no. I don't trust. I don't trust him. And they, like, start screaming at each other. But it, like, doesn't escalate. Like, it didn't seem violent unless I, like, turned my head for a minute and missed them pushing each other. Which, you know, is always possible on this damn show. And we go back. We go back to, uh... Austin and they're outside of Froco and Farrah's like I love Froco and it's like okay hon sure you do 
Um, anyway, I'm dying to see the tax returns for her stores. I'm dying to know what kind of money they make. I'm dying. Sophia Loren is hiring. You should definitely go work there. If you live in Austin, Texas, shout out Jay Renna. You should, like, absolutely go work for Farah. Well, really, for Sophia. You should go let Sophia be your girl boss. Wouldn't that be great? But Michael tells Farah, like, hey, just so you know, at the party, like, David and I had a fight. And Michael, like, straight up lies through his fucking teeth. Did you guys notice this? He says that... <laughs> David came right up to him and started talking shit on Farah, and then he pushed him, and I was like, that's not what happened. Michael's the one that brought up Farah. David didn't bring up Farah at all. I really sound like I'm a David apologist in this episode, and one part of it is just because I fucking hate Farah and I hate Michael, so I think I'm like kind of taking the side of David probably unfairly a little here. But I really don't like David. I think he's like a master creep. And anybody that's with Deborah is not to be trusted. But Michael told a fucking lie. And Farah was like, he's a fake fucking weirdo freak. And I was like, okay. <laughs> She's so, she hates him so much. And Michael like bringing that up and... Kind of putting it out there for Farrah to like validate himself was just so shitty because he knew what he was doing. It's like, why are you telling your daughter a lie so she'll be on your side against David when you know she hates David and will always be on your side? Even watching back what happened, like, obviously she's going to be on Michael's side. And then did you guys notice in like the closing montage of the episode, they showed Michael jogging down the street like in a polo shirt and khaki shorts? What the fuck was that? Imagine if you just saw Michael jogging. God. I love an older man at the gym, by the way, who works out like in in his casual khakis and a collared shirt. I really respect that aspect of life. But Michael doing it, jogging on the streets of Austin was, it was a lot for me. So that was Farah. This season, apparently they're going to finally fucking talk about porn and her firing scene is going to come up. Is she fired? Is she not fired? I don't know. I haven't really talked about it this episode because I don't really understand what the answer is personally. I I don't I don't really have an answer. I don't really get what's going on. Supposedly production fired her, but they don't have the ability to fire her and Viacom like came back because the contracts are actually with Viacom and Viacom came back and said she wasn't fired. I don't really understand why production would want to fire her for porn. I can understand if they wanted to fire her for being an asshole but if I I don't know I don't really get it but I am excited to see that I'm very excited hey guys to hear the rest of this week's episode come on over to patreon.com slash eb psychos thanks guys have a good week love ya bye this has been an episode of feathers in my hair an emotionally broken psychos patreon exclusive Executive Producers, Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos. And come on over to our Facebook page for more discussion.